Amen. We are going to wind up this series uh, today. Hopefully you got a copy. Uh, this is the fourth sermon in a four-part four message. Uh, all of the messages are back there on the little table. Uh, if you didn't get it, you can, of course, you can get them online at thefoundrypress.org. They're always published there. Uh, and this message actually has some videos with it, so I would suggest you go on there and watch the videos that go with this message. Uh, just to kind of get a fuller picture of what we've been talking about. We've been discussing over the course of this series, it's the Christmas story that you've never heard, and it's the story of the Zadok priests. And I stumbled upon that, this group of guys at the end of the message of Ezekiel. It mentions a group of people that are specially honored in the coming reign of Jesus Christ called the Zadok priests, and it's just remarkable, their story. The Zadok priests are responsible for the information that was discovered in the deserts of Israel in Qumran, the Dead Sea Scrolls, if you've never heard of those. There are some scrolls that were found in caves in Qumran, and the Zadok priests were pastors of a group of people called the Essenes, and the Dead Sea Scrolls is the record of their teachings. And so that's what we've been discussing over the past several weeks. And I want to just kind of give you a summary of where we've been and what we've talked about. So if you're a visitor, this might be helpful for you. This is where some of the information that we've learned over the course of this series. Grayson, if you'd pull up the first slide. So one of the principles that we've gleaned from our discussion of the Zadokian or Melchizedekian priesthood, Melchizedek is the prince or the chief of the Zadok priests. Uh, it's, it's possible to understand with clarity what God is saying and doing. That's really possible. They've demonstrated that for us. Also, and just as importantly, we can know with a significant measure of certainty what God is going to do in the future. Now listen, I'll be the first person to admit there are a lot of different opinions about how to interpret Bible prophecy, right? What the Zadok priests and the Dead Sea Scrolls demonstrate is you can know with a relative degree of certainty what God is going to do in the future. They've demonstrated that for us. Let's go to the next slide, Grayson. So from what is recorded in the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Zadok priests were amazingly accurate in everything they predicted, and they predicted many things, even to the date. They predicted hundreds of years in advance that Messiah was going to die on Passover of A.D. 32. That was exactly correct. And they predicted another date. The Jerusalem temple would be destroyed in A.D. 72, and they were correct about that. Go to the next slide, Grayson. This is confirmed by an objective, unbiased witness in the Jewish historian Josephus. As far as we know, and it was recorded by one of the early church fathers, Origen, Josephus never professed faith in Jesus as Messiah, and yet he testifies the Zadok priests, the Essenes, were rarely, if ever, uh, off in anything they predicted. Go to the next slide, Grayson. Everything the Zadok priests predicted is consistent with what is recorded in the pages of the New Testament. 
it all happened exactly like they said it would. Go ahead, Grayson. Especially in regards to Bible prophecy, the recorded witness of the anti-Nicene fathers, now what that means is the early church fathers before the Council of Nicaea, so that's like the first 300 years of the church before it came, became, started getting corrupted with political corruption and things like that. The anti-Nicene fathers are in complete agreement with the teachings of the Zadok priesthood. So listen, listen, here's the point of all of this. The Zadok priesthood and the Essenes cover roughly 200 years before the New Testament. Then you've got the New Testament time frame, and then you've got the early church fathers, which is the first 300 years of the church. All of that is consistent. So if you look at how they interpreted Scripture, we can know with relative certainty we're getting it right. Are you with me, church? There's a lot of confusion out there on how to interpret the Bible, how to interpret Bible prophecy, but those three things are consistent with one another. And so we can know with a relative degree of certainty, if we're following in their footsteps, we're probably getting it right. And then the last point, Grayson, I think this is the last point. Our spiritual father, John Wesley, when presented with the teachings of the church fathers in regard to Bible prophecy, confirmed their position to represent the very clear meaning of scripture, scripture. So John Wesley, our father, was in agreement with those three witnesses. The Essenes and the Zadok priests, the New Testament, and the early church. John Wesley said, yep, they got it right. Is that the last one, Grayson? Okay. Oh, no, one more. Oh, this is a biggie. So one of the early church fathers, uh, Papias, who is bishop of Hierapolis, he was an apostolic father. Uh, he was called by St. Irenaeus, a hearer of John and a companion of Polycarp, a man of old time. So one of the earliest witnesses, he testifies that, that hearing the uh, apostle John himself, the man who wrote the book of Revelation, the man who uh, he heard the apostle John say that there would be a future 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ on the earth. So he, the, the information that we've learned, the best witnesses are that we are following in the correct, correct footsteps uh, in interpreting Bible prophecy as being literal, as being future, and it will follow on the heels of a man who's going to return to the earth and rule the earth for 1,000 years. So, that's all to set up what we're going to talk about today. This just leads us to what to expect. Advent is a time of preparation. It's a season of preparation. So we've said all of that to say, what should we expect at the second coming of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ came as a baby the first time. He's coming as a resurrected, glorified man the second time. And that's what we're looking forward to. That's what we're preparing for as a church. So let's get into the message. As always, I may not cover all of this. You know how we do this church. You've got homework pretty much every week, right? Did you do your homework last week? Remember, I'm not grading you, right? Your report card is going to come when you face the resurrected man when he returns to the earth. You realize that, don't you? 
I mean, I live my life mindful of the fact I'm getting a report card one of these days. So that's something we should all be mindful of. Let's flip over to page two. So one of the things we need to be mindful of, one of the predictions of the Zadok priests was they understood their order, their priesthood. They focused on uh, being stewards of the knowledge of God. They studied the scriptures diligently. They studied especially Bible prophecy diligently, and they taught that to people. So, so one of the things they understood was that their order would reemerge in the last days. And that's consistent with what Scripture teaches, and I'm going to show you that from the book of Daniel. So what the Zadok priests predicted, their order would reemerge in the last days, we are going to read about that in Daniel. Daniel predicts that. Daniel is an Old Testament prophet who had amazing wisdom, Likely the wise men, you know the story of the the wise men that came to visit the baby Jesus. Everybody knows that story. Likely those men were a part of a school of prophets started by Daniel. They came from Persia. They came from the east, which is probably Persia. And they were likely, uh, they likely inherited the wisdom and knowledge that Daniel had. And so we're going to read from Daniel chapter 12, starting in verse 1. And just fair warning, Grace, and I will will skip some verses, but we'll start in verse 1. At that time, Daniel 12, verse 1, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. Michael is an archangel, which means he's like a chief angel, and his specific assignment is to the nation of Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never been since there was a nation until that time. So church, you can expect that prophecy to come true, and it is likely going to come very soon. Let's keep reading. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, talking about the Jewish people, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book, verse 2, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, speaking of the resurrection from the dead some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Verse 3. And those who are wise, wise like the Zadok priests, wise in the knowledge of God, wise in their understanding of Scripture, particularly in regards to Bible prophecy, those who are wise shall shine. In other words, this time, this time of trouble, is their moment. It is their time to shine. That time of trouble will crush people who are unprepared. But those who are wise, those who are prepared, will shine in that time frame. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. Those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now, church, they turn many to righteousness because of their understanding, and they're able to communicate that or teach that to others. This is why we, one of the points we've emphasized, don't just learn the information. Don't just be aware of the information. Be capable of teaching others. Right? 
you realize when, he, when you were baptized, that's your responsibility. At your baptism, you were ordained to become a disciple maker, not just a disciple. Amen? Verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. One of the things I hear all the time, really ever since I got here, was that, you know, I've never heard this before. I hear this all the time. No one's ever taught that before. And, and it usually comes with, you know, there's this unspoken thing behind it. Are you sure that's right? You know, one of the reasons you've never heard this before is because it wasn't time to hear it. Are you with me? You heard what you needed to hear in the time frame that you were in. We are entering a new time frame. And the reason we're increasing in knowledge, and I am as well, like this, this story that I've been telling you the past four weeks, I just learned that at the end of the Ezekiel message. This is new information to me. But we're learning what we need to learn when it's time for us to learn it. And so God is saying, at the time of the end, knowledge is going to increase. And church, we're just getting warmed up. There is much more to unpack together. Let's keep reading in verse 8. Dan, uh, Grace, I'm skipping to verse 8. I heard, but I did not understand. Daniel is saying, I've got the information, but I don't comprehend it. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. In other words, Daniel, you're not capable of understanding it right now, but when the time comes, the understanding will be bestowed. Verse 10. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. The, the eyes of the world are blinded. But those who are wise shall understand. Church, I want to remind you, I say it all the time, it's not about intelligence. Learning and understanding and wisdom have nothing to do with intelligence. It's about belief. It's about desire. If you desire to know and understand the things of God, the Holy Spirit will help you. His power, His grace, His anointing will help you to receive the understanding. Verse 11. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Okay. What does that mean? These are questions you need to ask when you're reading the Bible right? That's in there for a reason. Are you with me? That means something. Everything you read in the Bible means something and has significance, and you are capable of understanding it. Verse 12, blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. Huh? What does that mean? 
Verse 13. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest, and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Now think about that. Daniel, you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. What that tells us is God has an eternal assignment for Daniel that is waiting for him when the resurrection of the dead happens and Jesus establishes his millennial kingdom. Daniel has a place, and church, what that means is, so do you. You have an appointed place, a God-ordained and appointed place for you to stand in. Your time on the earth is to prepare for that assignment. You are to be in training in godliness, in the knowledge of God, to be able to stand in that God-appointed place at the end of days. Now let's look at these time frames. 1,200 and, what was it, 90 days, 1,335 days. What does that mean? I've got a little bit of time. Let's, let's do our work here. Matthew 24, 6, Jesus is teaching on the end times. That entire chapter, Jesus is instructing his disciples on what to expect in the time frame before he returns. And he says in Matthew 24, 6, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. So Jesus is saying, you are going to expect calamities and wars and conflicts and it's just like when a woman gives birth. Before the baby arrives, those birth pangs start, and they're mild at first and far apart, but the closer you get to the birth, they're more frequent and they're more intense. So Jesus is comparing the birthing process to the time frame before he returns. We know from what we've studied of the Zadok calendar, the Zadok priest predicted the final 50-year time frame of this age, the age that we're in right now, and an age is 2,000 years. They predicted the final 50-year time frame would start in March of 2026. We learned that last week. All of that's documented in Perusia Part 3, if you, wanted to, if you missed that and you wanted to follow up on it. So what that means is we should be mindful of, if they're correct... Starting in that time frame, this time of birth pangs should begin and they should escalate as that age goes on. One of the things that we should expect, starting in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion, that, rebellion, that word rebellion is apostasia in the Greek. It means a defection from the truth. People are going to stop believing the truth and start believing lies. Now, that's already been happening. If you follow the news at all, if you're even mildly awake, you see people believing in ridiculous things. 
such as a man can get pregnant, right? I mean, just absolutely absurd things people are believing and really insisting that you believe with them. But that apostasy, that defection from the truth, is probably particularly true of the church. And so you should expect churches to increasingly apostatize. That's going to come. And then a man of lawlessness is going to be revealed, the son of destruction. Now that's referring to the Antichrist, a false messiah. A messiah is a political figure. So a political figure that promises to have all of the solutions is going to come on the scene. Verse 4, he will oppose and exalt himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Now that will probably come about because he is going to have amazing victories militarily, economically, socially. He is going to be very successful. One of the reasons that Adolf Hitler in history was able to do what he did and the German people let him do it was because he brought remarkable success and prosperity to the German people. On on the heels of World War I, they had massive hyperinflation and Hitler came on the scene and he was able to restore prosperity to that nation and those people who were literally starving. And because of that, because he put bread back on the tables and brought prosperity back to them, they were like, you can do anything and we'll follow you. That was kind of like a cycle or a picture of what's going to come in the future. It predicts in Matthew 24, 15, when you see, Jesus is saying, when you see, you'll literally see it with your eyes, the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place. When this event occurs, so you can expect at some point in the future, the Jewish people to resume temple worship, sacrifice worship on the temple mount. That's going to literally happen. Animal sacrifices and everything. And this man, this political figure, is going to hijack that and declare himself to be God. And whenever that event happens, whenever he hijacks that temple worship, declares himself to be God, and demands that you worship him, that will mark a time frame of three and a half years that will be the worst time the world has ever seen, Jesus describes. So church, you need to be aware of this because you need to go into strict training because casual, lukewarm, half-hearted Christianity, which has been practiced and which you have witnessed for the majority of your life, is not going to work in that time frame. It will crush you. If you're lazy, lukewarm, and half-hearted in your faith, that time frame will crush you. The great falling away, the defection from the truth, is going to be people who fill the pews of churches all over the world, that when that intense pressure comes, that faith is not going to cut it. So if Advent is a time of preparation, we need to be mindful of the bad news. Right? This is what uh, Simeon, whenever Mary was pregnant with Jesus, or whenever Mary had given birth to Jesus, and she's presenting the baby of Jesus at the temple, Simeon warns Mary and says, Mary, a sword will pierce your soul. 
you're going to experience great pain. As beautiful as this baby is, is as, as good as the news is that Jesus has been born, Mary, a sword's going to pierce your soul. God is giving Mary information she needs to be prepared for what is coming. I want you to be mindful of Revelation 12, verse 13. It's one of the points that we've made over the course of this series, and this is actually one of the most important points I really want us to take ownership of together. Revelation 12, 13 says this, And when the dragon, that is, represents Satan, Satan is the spirit that, uh, that empowers a person called Antichrist. He's going to give Antichrist all of his power and authority. And Satan is referred to by the Apostle Paul as the god of this world. So he has a tremendous amount of power and persuasion on the earth. It says, And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, but the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent, so that she might escape the influence of Satan, into the wilderness. Now let, let's unpack that word, that word eremos, translated wilderness, is an uncultivated, unpopulated, desolate area. That's what that means. So one of the things I've tried to tell you is, that's talking about us. That's talking about West Texas. Are you with me? To the place where she is to be nourished, taken care of, fed physically and spiritually for a time, times, and half a time. That's three and a half years. So God, just like God prepared a place for the baby Jesus when he fled Herod to Egypt, right? That's where the Zadok priests were cultivating communities. So that when Jesus fled, he'd have people prepared to take care of him, him and his family. There's going to be a place prepared in this time frame where people can flee and escape the influence of the madness that's even now growing on the minds and hearts of people of the planet. You know, for the first time ever, when we experience crazy things, we're experiencing, we're experiencing them as a planet. It's like the Israel, the, you know, we had the coronavirus, we experienced that as a planet, and now we've got the Israel-Palestine conflict, right, where people are getting hijacked with madness over something that has absolutely nothing to do with them, right? And that is happening globally. We're experiencing an immigration crisis globally. It's not just in the United States. It's not just in Europe. I saw where Pakistan is dealing with Afghani refugees. They're having just as much of a crisis with immigrants as we are. The Bible says nation will rise against nation. That means ethnicity against ethnicity. That's what that means. But God is preparing places in desolate areas where wisdom and knowledge are going to be cultivated, where there will be areas of refuge where people can escape and flee the coming madness. 
It says that in Luke 21, verse 36. Jesus is teaching on the end times in Luke 21, 36. It says, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength. You might have the ability, you might have the wherewithal to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. That is, you will not get crushed by the trouble that is coming. You will have the strength to escape and to stand in your faith before the Son of Man. Now let's wind it up with this. What about that 1,290 days thing? What about that 1,335 days thing? What does that mean? And I want to remind you, the Zadok priests, the Sadducees completely missed it. The Pharisees completely missed it. They were the guys on TV. Are you with me? I want you to hear me. They were the guys on TV telling you with certainty this, that, and the other about Bible prophecy, and really, they're just a bunch of kooks. Okay? That big author that you like to read. It's probably wrong. I mean, it's not... 100% wrong, but this is how deception works. If deception is just crazy off the charts, you're not going to listen to it. Deception is effective because it's a facsimile of the truth. The Antichrist will be persuasive because he looks so much like a real Messiah. Are you with me? And so a lot of times, just because you have these flakes, fruits, and nuts spewing all of this stuff about Bible prophecy that looks good at first, but turns out to be wrong, you think nobody really knows what they're talking about. But the Zadok priests tell us, no, there are people who really know with precision what is right. They're just not on television or best-selling authors or blah, blah, blah. Right? So let's look at this time frame. Daniel emphasizes a 1,290-day time frame. Daniel is receiving information because he's a representative of the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. He's primarily concerned about the promises that pertain to the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. 1,290 days is roughly three and a half years. It is a consistent message throughout Scripture of a time frame of trouble that is unprecedented in all of human history. Now, if you were to look at the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation also emphasizes a three and a half year time frame, but it uses 1260 days. What's up with that? Why the 30 day difference? The book of Revelation is written from the Christian perspective. And from the Christian perspective, it is 
concerned about the promises that pertain to the return of Jesus Christ and the resurrection from the dead, which is different from the promises that pertain to the nation of Israel. And so there's a different time frame. And so the key question for a Jew would be, when is the nation of Israel going to be restored? When is Jerusalem going to resume temple worship on the Temple Mount? That's their primary question. For a Christian, the primary question would be, when is Jesus going to appear in the sky and resurrect from the dead? Two different emphases. What I would propose to you is that we can understand what these time frames are predicting. 1260 days, represented by the book of Revelation, speaks of at the end of a three and a half year time frame, Jesus Christ is going to return to the earth, he's going to resurrect the dead, and he's going to rapture the church. That's 30 days before he actually arrives at Jerusalem to deliver the Jewish people from Antichrist, and to restore the nation of Israel. I'm giving you the uh, Cliff Notes version, by the way, church. You can get all of the details in the article. And I'm going to wind things up here. Again, you can access this online. Uh, everything is linked, so you can actually click links and follow the, the trail to its source. Jesus returns at, at 1260 days from the time the Antichrist declares himself to be God on the Temple Mount. You're going to have three and a half years. 1,260 days from that time, and it'll be that many days, we're going to see Jesus appear in the sky. And he's going to begin gathering his New Testament church, rapturing them as he returns to the earth, and he's going to spend 30 days waging war against Antichrist and his armies. 30 days pouring out the wrath of God. The scripture talks about the bowls of wrath in the book of Revelation. He is going to be pouring out the bowls of wrath on Antichrist and his armies, and he's going to be slaughtering them. And you're going to witness it. And if you don't have these concepts in your mind, Jesus says, blessed are you if you're not offended when these things begin to happen. Are you going to be offended when you see it, or are you going to celebrate him when he's doing it? Church, you're called to celebrate because the destruction of evil is a good thing, and you should celebrate it when it happens. He's going to spend 30 days destroying the works of Satan and those who get in agreement with him. And you're going to be there cheering him on when he does it. So at the end of those 30 days, he arrives at Jerusalem at the Mount of Olives, and the Jewish leadership is going to come and invite him to be their Messiah. They're going to invite him. They've been resisting him all of this time. There's going to come a time of trouble like they've never seen, and it's meant to bow their knee to submitting to the lordship of God's Messiah, Jesus Christ. They've been stubborn and resisting him for ages, but they're going to cave under the pressure and say, yes, we receive you. And Jesus is going to deliver and restore the nation of Israel and worship on that temple mount that we discussed uh, several weeks ago, the threshing floor of Arana. Worship will be resumed in that place of the one true God, not of Allah, 
Who would follow the religious teachings of a mass murderer and a pedophile? You honestly think God's going to choose a guy like that to, refu- to, to reveal the path of salvation? That's nonsense. That Muslim temple is going to be torn down. A murderer, an illiterate person, and a pedophile. You honestly think God's going to choose that guy to reveal the truth to? That's just the truth. Who would believe that? Your heart has to be in agreement with evil to believe that. Sorry, that wasn't part of the sermon. 1,335 days. Let's finish up with that. Jesus returns at 1,260 days. He restores, he delivers the nation of Israel at 1,290 days. 1,335 days. That's an additional 45 days. It's going to take Jesus 45 days to set up and establish his millennial reign, his government. And so during that 45 days, you're going to receive your report card. During your 45 days, as you receive your report card, you're going to be given your assignment. Just like Daniel was given his assignment, you're going to be given your assignment. Church, you're in training right now. Based upon your training, you're going to receive a position. How many of you care about your paycheck? Everybody. How many of you care about your status? Everybody. You're in training right now for your eternal assignment. Lazy, lukewarm, half-hearted believers are going to get what they deserve. If you study and train diligently in the knowledge of God, you're going to get what you deserve. This going to be 45 days where Jesus uh, evaluates every person. Now, there's a video. Uh, there's a, a video that I recorded several years ago about the judgment seat of Christ. I believe every person needs to be aware of this information. Uh, I just watched it again a couple of days ago, and I was like, man, that's really good information. You need to watch it. You need to do your homework, because we are, we are to be prepared as a bride for Jesus when he returns. Preparation means doing your homework. Are you with me, church? 1,260 days? 1,290 days, 1,335 days, and that is very important information. It's not just gobbledygook that you can ignore. Amen? 45 days, Jesus is going to be making evaluations, handing out assignments, and you're going to really care about where you land in that equation. Trust me on that. You're going to really care about that. And you're going to look back and say, I shouldn't have spent much, so much time watching college football. Or fill in the blanks. That's all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Father, thank you that those verses from Daniel are a promise. Knowledge shall 
increase. And I believe, as a church, we're just getting warmed up. So, Father, we thank you. And we're just going to lay hold of more promises. The Bible says, to those who have, more will be given. Listen to that. You've given us great wisdom and knowledge. Thank you. And we can expect that as we have received that and treasured it and expressed gratitude for it, you've got even more to give us. And so that is my prayer, Father. Thank you for what we've received. But we want more. And so, Father, I thank you for a hunger and a thirst for the knowledge and the wisdom of God in the people of First Methodist Lamisa. That they would be people who hunger and thirst for wisdom and knowledge and that they develop the ability to teach and train others in what they're learning. This is every believer's calling to be a disciple maker. So, Father, thank you for grace to do that in a new way as we approach 2024 that we take ownership of that calling together as a church. We pray and ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing one last song together.